Welcome to Collingwood Rant. I'm Sly. See you, Sam. <laughs> Spook, out of 10, how angry are you? See you, Sam. Spook, what happened to our opening joke? See you, Sam. Do you think they might have just played a little bit earlier Saturday Twilight? Let me just think about this. CSM. Alright, only a look at the game, nothing else but the game which ended our season. Let's like be- so many before it. <laughs> yeah. Let's look at the. I'm going to break it down to different sections. Let's begin with selections. Levi Greenwood out, ACL, Jordan Ngoi out with the hamstring, Ben Reid and James H in. Were you surprised by the selections? Uh, no, I, I think we ummed it hard about this one. Um, Reid was a bit of a gamble. Um, I think I still probably, I, don't, I can't remember what I said last week, I probably would have preferred Varks in hindsight. Okay, so let me now qualify that. It pissed down with rain. Definitely Varks. Did you still think they should go for Reid? Um, no, but I think, um, to be fair, the weather report uh, was meant to be dry, so who knows? I mean, we sort of fucked up in the same way that Chris Goff fucked up two weeks earlier. I believe the weather report was just foxing, it poured down, with like, you it know... It was like nothing. a monsoon. I think the Ben Reed selection was a massive error, given that even if it didn't rain, it was very wet. They played him to be the relief ruckman, and that was basically it. So you're going to get 15 minutes out of him and the other 85 minutes you're going to hope he might do something up forward in a wet game and then you end up poured and we're too tall with a guy who hadn't played in... When's the last time Ben Reid played? About 2016? Round 15, I think it was. Yeah, you know, who hasn't played for quite a while and you had a number of those guys. Aish was another one. Uh, and you've brought too many of these guys in who aren't ready for football. Varko, at least he's only coming off about a three-week absence from football. A uh, smaller target would have... Played a lot better in the wet. He certainly would have socketed a goal through. Not looking at anybody brown. How'd you feel about the umpiring? That was shit ass. It actually favoured us 24 to 17, but did you feel... It was the constant things that were... Now, there's not so much about the ones that was paid. It's the things that were just overlooked all the way through. Well, like, like Grundy being murdered. Count, the amount of times that Grundy was pushed out, um, it was just ridiculous. Yeah, And if you're not going to get a, a fair old look at it, then what's the fucking point of those guys being out there? I don't you know. might as well just let the players adjudicate the game themselves. Oh, yeah, I totally agree. But having said that, do you feel the umpiring is where we lost it? No. Okay, so now let's break down the game quarter by quarter. First quarter, we kicked 2 one thirteen to one three. Uh We led by, what, three, four points? Mm-hmm. They look like they really, even though it was raining, they had clean use of the ball, they moved it forward, they did well. <coughs> yep. We were very scrappy, fumbled, all that sort of shit. So let me just ask you this. Coming off the bye, was that a concern? Um, I think, yeah, this, this is my underlying concern throughout the final series. And I think I've and you did say this. You said you would have preferred to play ongoing. Yeah, and I think it really starts to flag that, that, that this extra break. So you essentially end up playing one game of football in about, what, three or four weeks or yeah, something? four weeks. It, it's just absurd. Well, yeah. Ron Conley had a stat on Twitter saying, since they've introduced this, uh, four of the teams who've won the qualifying final, sorry, of the eight teams who've gone through, uh, only four have won the prelim, uh, whereas prior to Dubai, there's only one had ever lost mm. coming, you know, because that they weren't getting that interrupted football. It, it robs you of that momentum. And, and you've been the best sides, well, three of them were the best sides, you deserve that continuous run. Uh, you, you get that one week off if you if you win the first game, and I think that sort of always worked out well. But you you lose that drive going. Well, the up. stupidness of the, the stupidity of the buy is that all the top teams should get an advantage, but now you're just saying everyone gets a week off. So what's the fucking point? Mm. You'd probably prefer to come up from 
you know, fifth or sixth. I mean, Alston Clarkson, uh, he said it a few years ago, but if teams keep coming up from that bottom four of the eight, it's probably going to revamp the way coaches look at their teams going into finals. Uh, you know, I you texted me really early in the Richmond-Geelong game saying Richmond looked scratchy. They did look scratchy. They took about a half to get going. I thought we looked really like we lacked touch and run and even just some, you know, knowledge of where players were and shit mm. like that. Whereas GWS played with a lot more momentum. But... Having said that, uh, our intensity was really low. Now, I don't know how much you can attribute that to lack of continuity. I think that's almost like a little bit of over-bloated confidence going into the game. This is just a foregone conclusion. And I don't blame... We're going to get to that later. Players, because um, we oh, were I just do. as bad. Uh, second quarter. So, it was basically even. Uh, what, no one scored? No, I think we scored one to each. It wasn't really any great shift in uh, the balance. Mm-hmm. I mean, the one thing I found in the first half was I thought GWS could have been up by three, four goals, and they just didn't take their chances. Whereas with us, every time we went forward, it was really that, you know, what we've seen a bit with Collingwood, just took so much hard work to get a shot at goal. You didn't really get um, just those chaos-type opportunistic goals. And conditions would have been a factor in that. Would have been, but the thing is, if, if conditions being what they were, you know, you're not going to play a finesse game. Now, one of the problems, and we'll look at the stats a bit later, is Collingwood at times seemed to play a finesse game, which just kept getting undone. Whereas GWS, they handled the ball a lot more surely, but they weren't playing with such finesse. Half time, are you concerned? Um, no, I think we were fairly level picking score wise for them, weren't yeah. we? Um, Look, I don't remember. There was a fair bit of beer consumed on that day, but um, I don't remember being overly... Players. Uh, at this point of the game, I don't being, uh, remember overly concerned, no. All right. So, we I probably... we probably... You probably expected them to do what Richmond yeah, did, come which is come out to, yeah. and start to get the mojo. But the third quarter, uh, yeah. we kicked three points, they kicked 5-2. They got a few of those opportunistic goals. Um, they got that real bullshit one when Phil Anson pushed out Grundy oh, yeah. and had a shot. And at that point, it looked like in those conditions, to win, we'd have to, you know, kick twice as much as we'd already, or even more, you know, we'd have to triple our score, which we didn't even look like we could get a goal. Mm. Well, we hadn't scored, I think, at the end of three quarters. Yeah. Um, we hadn't scored for about 70-odd minutes. Now, we did that against Long also, for like we didn't score a goal for 60 minutes. Yeah, it's a bit worrying. So, there is something there for not, the not that we'll look anymore. At, not to, and we'll talk about recruiting at some other point in the future... But when you look at clubs like Richard and that going out, getting a Tom Lynch and even Porter Adelaide years ago getting Charlie Dixon and like really identifying genuine key position forwards, whereas, and this is no... Well, you don't think Toehill's going to cut it? Jeez, you can hope. With no disrespect intended to Mason Cox, it's still that experimentation. We're going to take this 211 centimetre giant and turn him into a full forward. And I've always said... If that was a solution, every club would just be getting the tallest way they could find and say, you stay there. And like, I think Cox is massively maligned at the club. I think he gets pinged when he gets uh, abused by opposition. He gets double, triple teamed. He doesn't get the ball delivered quickly, so they don't give him any great chance of marking it. But he's not genuinely, I think, the answer as a key forward. No, I agree. Last quarter, Giants kick a goal. Game looks over. You look like you were about to kill a few people. You pretty much for that whole last quarter. But then we came really hard. Kick 4-5 to 1-1. One, one. 
We're a goal down for about seven minutes to play. Um, Main kicked the point, could have made the distance from what, about 12 metres? Yeah, that was disappointing. Taylor Adams had a quick snap, which hit the post. Yep. I thought we were way too chaotic in the way we tried to move the ball in. There was no system. We sort of played like there was only 25 seconds left the whole last seven minutes and just boot the shit out of it and hope something comes of it. And I think this highlighted one thing, which I believe we've been saying, is that last quarter when Josh Thomas got a couple of opportunistic goals and no one was touched on on replay. It wasn't corrected on review. But it showed that they really missed that opportunistic forward. They don't have someone who's going to crumb, snap, kick these, you know, goals from nothing. Mm. All the fours they got from the goey to Elliot to Stevenson to Hoskin Elliot even, they're all these really sort of lead up forwards and if the ball comes to the ground then I'll make some space. You know, Stevenson's goal early on was making space. It wasn't that I'm going to dribble it in from the boundary. Thomas for like about 15 minutes played that Didac, Cracker, Leon Davis type game. It showed we really need that sort of forward in there. And you probably could have used that sort of guy in the 2018 Grand Final. Came really hard at GWS. They held their nerve. In the end, Siren goes, we lose by four points. Stop if you've heard this one before. Yep. Now, the real interesting thing is I went through the stats. We need to get uh, bigger beers. It's too hard to reach for those ones. Yeah. It's a furphy in case anybody is asking. If the shit fits. <laughs> yes. So, team stats, disposals, 337 to 338. Mm-hmm. So, we are one down. Kicks, 209 to 238. Handballs, 128 to 100. So, we handballed 28 times more than they did. Which you'd almost expect in those conditions. Oh, you'd expect to kick le- a handball less. You'd expect to be kicking more, I think, in the rain. I don't know. I think you get a little bit more direct sometimes, I think, with the handballing. That's, that's just my opinion. Well, you could be. But it depends on how they're handballing. If they're like getting the one handball out and then kicking long, fine. But if they're handballing around to try and find space, and this is one of the problems which I get to as I go to, through the players, is I thought we really tried to finesse. Um, inside 50s, 53 to 49. One percenters, 57 to 72. I don't know what the crap they are. Uh, now, looking at individual players, Pendles, 18 disposals, 12 kicks, 6 handballs, 9 tackles. Side bottom, nine kicks, seven handballs, five tackles. I'm sure somebody will tell me he's elite still. Um, and not just bagging side bottom because there's a lot of players with him. Taylor Adams, I'll put this to you before. 20 disposals. How would you break that down? I'd probably guess off the top of my head that uh, he had 20 kicks. Yeah, and zero handballs, which is amazing for the sort of player he is. Adam Trelaw, seven kicks, 15 handballs, eight tackles. So that to me, like I didn't really notice it as much when we're watching. But that, to me, suggested those two guys were each doing the other's role, mm. where uh, Adam should have been feeding it out. Chaw got eight tackles. Tom Phillips, 12 kicks, six handballs, three tackles. Rupert Wills, 16 kicks, three handballs, 12 tackles. So, apparently, Wills is the quickest to 100 tackles yep. in terms of games, which we didn't mention a few weeks ago. He's a beast. So that entire midfield really struggled. There's not one dominant performance in that entire midfield. No, it didn't half show. And now we're we getting to the clearance numbers. Yeah, we're going to get there in a second. Right. Play some elevator music while I drink beer. <laughs> now you look at the defenders. Jeremy Howe, 20 kicks, 8 handles, 28 disposals, 7 marks, 2 tackles. Jack Crisp, 26 disposals, 16 kicks, 10 handles, 7 marks, 9 tackles. Braden Maynard, 14 kicks, 9 handles, 3 marks, 8 tackles. So you got a lot of um, possessions in defence. How's in the two 
finals has been really good. He's, yeah, he had a great final series. Darcy Moore was generally good. So yep. As yep. been my criticism of him the whole year, he can be too loose in manning up and play a bit too attacking, which really gets exposed if the ball goes over the top. This is the one that is really interesting with um, Brody Grundy. He had 25 disposals, 73 taps. All right, I'm just going to sit here while you talk for the next hour. 73 taps, 13 of those to advantage. So I don't know where the other 60 went. GWS players. Now, the clearances... Or his feet. So it was 73 taps to like 16 or something. All the clearances, 35 to 54 in their favour. This is the bit that I just don't understand, is how that you can dominate the ruck so much and lose the clearances by such a big margin. This has been our criticism the whole year, that you get these numbers in terms of getting first touch to the ball and he's not translating to midfield's first use of the ball. And the one thing I think, if you actually watch Grundy closely, I'm going to criticise him here, is... When he excels, it's as a ruck, rucker over. And you'll see the things he excels are the tapping it to himself and then running on or, you know, second efforts, third efforts and playing as a midfield. I thought in the first half, he, as a midfield, he was great. He was like giving a lot of linkages. As just a genuine ruckman who's going to tap the ball down a teammate's throat, he doesn't have the influence that you feel he should have for the amount of dominance he exerts on the game. No, I agree. And this was a criticism of him in the grand final. He got like, like 60 taps in that game too, and we just didn't benefit. Now, if you look at the numbers throughout the year, he is constantly getting his hand to the ball. He's getting insane numbers of tap outs, but it is not going to the midfielder. No. Now, I'm not going to criticize Grundy exclusively because we've talked about there is an issue with that relationship. Why does that relationship between Grundy and the midfielders, and this is the midfielder which was... Uh, vaunted as the greatest midfield in the history of football. That should have been a warning sign. Yeah. Well, why can they not work out how to capitalise on these taps? And as a fallback, which we've touted in the past also, it would have been great in conditions like this. If Grundy is going to get his hand to the ball, but it's not going to go to the midfield, why not just thump the shoe out of it and get like 20 metres, 25 metres out of a punch? Yeah, especially and, in those conditions. Yeah. That should have been the logical outcome. Now, there is a massive problem here at Collingwood. Have you ever seen Grundy punch the ball forward, though? He did it a couple of times, I think it was against Bulldogs, where he started doing it, where they were setting up really tight around him, and then he just started going over him. And that should be something that he does just even to introduce uncertainty. That you know, One of the problems, I think, with Grundy's tap work, I'm not a ruckman, one of the problems is he really finesses it straight down, mm-hmm. and then opposition runs straight through it. Now, I don't know why, if he's going to do that, our players don't actually understand that's going to happen. They're roving to him every week. You think someone would click and go, hey. Ah, it's only been, what, 22 weeks? Well, it happened last year weeks. too. You know, and they, I don't know, I think Anthony Rock is the ruck coach. Um, Love the ruck because he's criminally underrated at Collingwood, but he was a centre-half forward relief ruckman. Why not get someone like Darren Jolly down there to actually... He's teach? got a bit of extra time in his hands these days. Is he? Uh, he's separated from his wife. No, we should have a lot of time. Uh, but Jolly talked about when he came to Collingwood, he had to teach the mids to rove offensively because they had been roving defensively for so long because they got used to losing taps. This side needs to actually work out, hey, this is what's going to happen. This is where you're going to tap it. This is where we're going to try and capitalise. And this is how we're going to change those numbers of instead of 13 to advantage out of 73 taps to, you know... 
I'm not going to say an absurd number like half that, but you should really be getting, I don't know, about, I would have thought about 25 taps to advantage. And if you look at Nick... Uh, I'd be aiming for 75% of them. If you look at Nick, Matt, and Gorn, they get a lot of taps well, to advantage. They're very direct with the way that they tap too. Yeah. You, you can see when they're in that flight, full flight, and they're hitting the ball, it's palmed to somebody that's usually very close or it, it, it lands in front of them. I actually think Mason Cox is actually good in tapping it to advantage. Yeah. Um, well, he sees it about yeah. 10 minutes before everyone else. Yeah, but this... They need to work it out, and it fucking annoys me that you got Buckley, one of the best midfielders I've seen, Harvey, champion midfielder, Hawking, champion midfielder, and not one of these guys can teach the ruck and the mid to work together. And this is happening all year. And I really thought, you know, at some point we're going to debut like, hey, here's something we've been working on the sly, and now we're going to debut it, and you're not going to know, actually know what the fuck to do. And they didn't do it. They just kept with the same fallible strategy of let me just tap it straight down and let the opposition rove it. And given the caliber of the midfield, it's regularly lost center clearances this year. Oh, so what the fuck is going on there? And that was one of GWS's great strengths, is, is their um, their scoring ability from winning clearances. It was, uh, it's was it been telegraphed all year that they're, they're very dominant at it. Well, they were dominant yeah. at it on um, Saturday. Mm-hmm. That, it's just... It's really that head-banging thing of just hitting your head against the same wall, expecting a different result, and it's never happened. So why do you keep expecting it to happen? Um, structure, structure, structure. Well, structure's not working, so that needs to be addressed. Now, if the midfielders, Pendlebury had a... I, I was a bit surprised he was an AA. Uh, I thought he had a good year. I didn't realise it was like that good. Um, Sidebottom's had a really average year. I'd be interested to see if he has been carrying an injury and he's been struggling. Trelaws had numbers, but they just haven't really translated to, you know... Anything uh, damaging. Yeah, you know... He's had his moments, but not overall damaging for the amount of times he... We got about 7,000 possessions in the year. And we've talked about it. It really is a misnomer how many um, numbers you get in high-possession games about how much work you're actually doing. Because you can get 10, 20 possessions just moving the ball sideways. Well, you will, usually. You look at the way... um, you know, you go back 20 years ago, if someone got 30 or 40 possessions, it was amazing. But now that's a pretty regular thing. And then a lot of... We're much 50. Yeah. Because it's like, people are just going backwards, sideways, and you know, and what you see a lot is they go all the way across the ground and go, oh, there's no avenue here, yeah, let's go switch, all the way back. The switch of the switch of the switch. Yeah. And the other thing too, with the midfield is, and this was happening when we were really slumping, there was a lot of a sort of quick kick around the corner to no one, you know, which is like, let me just snap it to get it the fuck out of here. And you think, sure, that can't be the game plan to have absolutely no composure. I'll buy that little, oh, sorry, not the little, I'll buy the snap out of panic kick if you could put about 40 to 50 metres on it. If you're just kicking it like 20 metres, you're just killing everyone and hoping for something that's not going to happen. And any- but you, you, you see a lot of sides that do that now, that panic kick out of, especially out of um, the defensive side of things. And yet, then the opposition side usually have one or two blokes floating yeah. free, waiting to intercept. Yeah. And you think, well, what's the fucking point of booting it out then? When you know the opposition is going to just sit well, there, camp, and then and deliver it back in again. Well, this is the thing I don't understand too, is if you're going to do that, why are your teammates not reading it? I mean, it, it's like, like Trelaw does that little snap kick quite a bit. And I think surely when players fall to the ball, see that he's got the ball and he's not facing goal side so he can run, but he's going to probably just turn and snap it. Why aren't you already running forward to anticipate like a 20 to 30 metre kick? And they don't do it. Uh, 
although we won against pretty mediocre opposition the last four weeks, ranging from um, Gold Coast to Melbourne to Adelaide to Essendon, mm-hmm. yep. uh, you know, I instead of the time, <laughs> but the or Geelong, you know, they really played a terrible game against the where They just didn't move the ball, so they fell into the, the strategy that we were employing. But just sort of saying that I think some of those weaknesses that we hoped were that they were working on and just getting right, they weren't actually working to any great extent. It was just that we were playing average teams, not letting us get away with shit we shouldn't have gotten away with. I mean, maybe that Essendon game was a bit of a predictor of what was going to come because Essendon really, being totally on the man, they really pushed us. And, you know, and we were just hoping, oh, well, we just you know had our eyes in the finals and shit like that. But... Mm. When you look at the two finals we played, what, one good half against Shillong? We didn't play one good half against Shillong. We played a good quarter and a bit against yep. Shillong. And then once the goal went off, it really fell to pieces. And we thought, well, maybe they were just playing tempo football because they were two down. Um, but that really disappointed me. Forward line just didn't work, didn't function at all. For any, you know, cohesiveness or any threat. No, no and you look at, you know, like, you know, Hoskin Elliott again just did nothing. You know, there's just too many... You know, and then and Mio to, to, to a point yeah, did just, nothing. just did nothing as well and so they were probably two of the cogs that were working quite well last year when things were going well and the swoop squad was going insane and we had everyone bobbing up every week and dobbing goals it just didn't replicate this year for whatever reason but you, you probably again have to look at the influence Mason Cox had there to contest to actually you know I mean the great thing with Cox I think is when he goes through sorry, when the ball's kicked to him and he's got no hope of marking it, he doesn't go for a mark. He'll actually go for a tap. And you see some of the tap work where he'll turn his hand around against momentum, push it back toward his players and all that sort of shit. Cox got murdered by our usage of the ball this year. Uh, and it, I think he's still got more goals. So even though people are saying, oh, Jesus, had a worse year, I think he's statistically he actually had a better year. But the way we were using him just wasn't, functioning and it wasn't having that flow effect, flow and effect to mm. get to the rest of the forwards working and then you had the things of like Stevenson missing for 10 years um, issues with fitness for players Josh Thomas played terribly for a big patch there and Hoskin Elliott was terrible for a patch there Varco was you know not doing that great yeah, it wasn't very settled all year was it and it wasn't it didn't develop that cohesion to actually develop or pose a threat. And you need that, I think, sometimes when you then you realise you play off each other so well because you know what your um, your teammates going to be doing. It was just changing too much to, to actually gel that way. But the real disappointment is, and this is the question you touched upon at the start, do you think some complacency settled in that everybody, including the players and staff, thought they'd win and just get through? I think that's that's that was a problem. Because, I mean, I certainly felt it the, the way too. You know, we was coming in with a mate on the train and um, we, we just kept talking about the, the next week, which was, and I just kept saying, I know we've just got to get through this week as well. But you just didn't talk that much about this particular game. Now, if our mindset was on the following week, then, you know, I don't think the club was probably as bad in that respect, but I think there was an element there that they clearly thought that this was just going to be a, a given, and especially with, with Whitfield and, and, and Greenbean out, and they're two massive outs. Oh, that huge. really and made it feel too. like, oh, we don't even have to work that hard for this one, potentially. And um, and the fucking rain, seriously. Where did that weather come from? I can tell you. The footy gods. Um they hate us. Leading into the week, I had people talking about the grand final. I was on the train and started speaking to the Bulldog supporter. He goes, I think you'll do Richmond next week. I go, well, we're going to get past the day. He goes, oh, you win this one. And a lot of people were saying that to me. We're going to get past this. And I said, no, just focus on now. 
and they're going, oh, no, we'll beat them, and, you know, they've got players out, and everyone had that expectation that would win relatively comfortably. Although the players would say consciously they're focused only on now, I do really think how much of their mindset was a week ahead. Now, in saying that too, I actually feel, and, you know, they can tell me I'm wrong. I think you're wrong. Happens sometimes. The whole year seriously had a fucking sense of entitlement about it. Like, hey, we just lost the grand final by this much. Therefore. Therefore, we are going to bounce back and just romp it in this year and it'll be a year of redemption and that. And there was that whole, like, even the first six weeks when we were playing okay and we were still saying, well, there's a few concerns here. And then we were flagging concerns when it was all unraveling and people go, no, no, it's all right. And then it totally unraveled and people are going, okay, there's an issue here. And I had people, fellow supporters, telling me, well, you know, forget about the flags this year. It's not going to happen for this reason or that reason. Um, and then it started to come good again. And I'll tell you one thing that really fucking annoys me. I understand why people do it because I've done it myself. But when Hawthorne won that re- final round against West Coast and we jumped up into the top four and then we got to play Geelong at the MCG instead of having to travel elsewhere or shit like that. And then Whitfield does appendicitis and Green gets reported and suspended and all that sort of stuff is like, everyone's going, oh, it's, it's our year, it's our year. You know, things are falling into place. And then the people are cycling, circling, what's the word, I don't know. People were distributing that fucking stat about, oh, in 1910, Collingwood won the grand <laughs> final, but they lost in 1911, but then they beat Richmond in 1919. The and it's like, yes, the Omens, it's like, and I get those a lot, and I understand why people do it. I'm a superstitious person, uh, superstitious person too. Is that why you keep wearing sunglasses? Yeah. And I just got to say though, one thing: you are fucking totally in control of your own fate. I don't give a shit about injuries or whatever, or omens or whatever. It was up to you to win. You weren't owed a win, okay? And to me, this loss is almost, almost as deflating as the 2018 Grand Final loss. Oh, I definitely think it is. You know, because... As Buckley said in his press conference, it just feels like a wasted year. I think it is a wasted year. And I think, I can't remember the the author's name, Tom Morris from Fox Sports or something. He goes, when he has a chance to reflect on that, he'll probably realise that's not quite right because he got some development into players and stuff like that, into the team, and and they all learned and shit like that. And this is what the comment I made to you earlier is... Football has this cyclical nature of you get you know new players replacing the old and all that sort of shit. You really would have hoped that this year you got some development into Nathan Murphy, Isaac Quainor, and Will Kelly as your defenders of the future. Murphy and Kelly barely played this you, year. You could throw Tyler Brown into that too. Tyler yeah, Tyler, Brown, Tyler, Tyler Brown. Yeah, you know he's been there for a couple of years now. And this is again, Collingwood doesn't have an injury issue apparently. Not as bad as Richmond's. No. I don't have an injury issue, but the thing is, and this is the reason I defended Buckley for four years when we were doing shit, is like, you kept bringing these guys like Scharenberg and Freeman and all that in, and they were getting injured. You had all these players going out and no one coming in to, re- to replicate that quality, so they are going to struggle. And it's the same thing now. You're getting players like Roughhead and Howe and Dunn and all these guys getting older, and the guys who should be coming up to claim those spots are not getting development into them. So either they're development's going to be delayed or it's just not going to happen because they're going to get so many physical impediments that their bodies are just going to go, fuck it, I can't do it anymore. And bang, three years down the track, we learn, oh, hang on, Will Kelly mightn't work out. Let's go now look for a new fullback. You compare that to 2006 onwards 
where you had guys like Presti, Wakeland, Clement, who were on the way out. And then we recruited guys like Reed and Nathan Brown. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you got guys like O'Brien and Maxwell and Heater in there. Uh, John Anthony was there. And, like, you had all this new guard taking over as the old guard were going out. And that's why they segued so smoothly from one generation to the next. And they didn't actually miss finals. I thought after the 2006 first semi-final loss to Bulldogs, I thought, that's it, we're fucked. We've got all these players going out. Who's coming in? But then you had Pendles and, and mm-hmm. Daisy come in. You had Beams and Sidebottom and all these guys. And it just was this perfect transition, which is definitely not fucking happening here. There is a gulf between um, the, the players, the team of today, and the team of tomorrow because apparently there's no injury problem with Collingwood, even though for the eighth year in a row we've listed no. in the top eight injuries of... You bang on. We're just not getting any games into these up-and-coming players and we're relying too much on, on, on the, the, the the recycle players coming in. And they're doing admirable jobs when they're coming in. You know, there's, there's nothing you can complain about with the likes of Howe or Ruffy with, with the years that they've had, but um, well, you're but just not seeing that second tier coming through. You know, so there's, there's some, some of these guys have been on the list now two, three years, still haven't cracked a senior game. Well, um, you know, Nathan Murphy played a few last year and you thought, well, well yeah. here's, here's one I'm hoping will come on. You know, And here's a guy... In the middle of the year where we were having all the injuries and they were trying Appleby and Quaynor and Noble, they had to go recruit, you know, a guy from, what was it, the Senefel to fill this spot because of their fucking injuries. That's where you were hoping that these guys would come in and, you know, just make a bit, of, at least have a bit of experience and shit. Well, at least Quaynor got a few games before, for some reason, his feet went on him. You know, it's just insane that... Oh, yeah, boils. Boils in his feet, and I'm not even kidding. It, it is fucking insane. And then you look at the guy. You know, the guy is constantly having these hamstring issues now. Hamstrings are going, but surely not. Ha- more hamstrings. I mean, you know, it's just insane. But there's no problem. Not, there's, there's no, no problem, problem there. No problem I mean, whatsoever. It should just be all... It's just bad luck. Well, it is apparently, but there's fucking obviously a problem. And it just really frustrates me because I think if you look at the teams around you, Brisbane surprised me this year. I didn't expect that. I thought... But that shows, I mean, they had a pretty much intact list yeah. all year, though. And they got developed into it, so they're going to be better for it next year. I still think Carlton are coming. I know people, I say that for... You've been saying that for 20 years. But I think if you look at that fucking list with Walsh and Cripps and Kerno and McKay and all these guys... They've got some special talent, no doubt. And if you look at, like, when T took over, they won, like, six games and lost five, and then about three of those they lost by, you know, a kick or something. If he coached a whole year, they would have probably won nine, ten games. They might have been challenged for the bottom of the eight. Now they've got that development into those players. Next year, they're going to... You know, I'm not saying they're going to win a flag next year or something, but as we've shown, it's not that big a gulf between, hey, we're struggling, but we're competitive to now we're winning, which Brisbane also did. And where is our talent coming from? Where is our influx of the next generation coming from? I see teams like... And I understand they've been sitting on the bottom floor, but teams like Brisbane and Carlton and all that getting that talent in. And the thing is... You know, okay, fine. They've been sitting on the bottom, but you know what? They've been sitting on the bottom, so they have got on this fucking talent. Where are we going to do that? You've got a limited window to actually do something, and it really pisses me off that this year they fucking blew it, and it really felt to me like they played the year like they just thought, it's going to happen for us, it's going to click, and we're going to dominate, and then all this shit was happening with injuries, with Stevenson, and all that sort of crap, and it was like, oh, well, got into a prelim, we're going to make it, and then they just fall over. And seriously, that th- those first three quarters, they were the worst three quarters I've seen in the Collingwood final ever. And I saw like the eighty-four prelim against Essendon, where they beat us by twenty goals. Um, 
it really, to me, was a totally inept, flat, lethargic performance, which also lacked, as we've complained this year, leadership. It lacked that guy to stand up and go, I'll win it. It lacked that Patrick Cripps-type game of, oh, fuck, I'll get the clearances, I'll kick the goals. No one did it. No, and, and, and Dugowie's the most likely one to, to be he doing is. that, and you can't get on the park. And, you know, even if you, even if you got past this final, he was still only going to be like a 90% chance to play and all that sort of shit. No, and Colin Goodhim and Elliot and um, Moore. Moore would have done hamstrings running through the banner because that's what we've been programmed to expect. So, I, you know, I'm just really fucking disappointed, you know, and I don't, you know, I, you know, for as much as we rant about the club, I mean, I love the club. I've been a member for 40 years and shit like that. I follow them and all that, but this fucking frustrates the shit out of me because it's really a limp effort. And if you went out, like, I, I've got to give GWS credit, they played well, but that last 20 minutes of the game showed when we lifted our intensity, mm-hmm. we dominated. Now, if you could have played, like, with half of that for two quarters of the game, you could probably would have won by, like, three, four goals. Yep. And then lost the following week. And the thing is, with finals and GWS and, you know, all that sort of stuff, if you could have done that early, you probably would have knocked the belligerence out of them and you would have been able to just coast because they would have got four or five goals down. They might have tried and they might have said, fuck it, we can't do it. Whitfield's out, Green's out. It's all about the psychology of football. It's like when you get a sniff, you pursue it. When it's that sniff's been snuffed out and then you're just sort of going, oh, fuck, it's too hard and players start thinking about the end of the season and the focus goes and it just turns into a shitty tempo-type final, which happens. But, you know, we didn't do that. And that was really, really disappointing. Mm. No, I agree. Any final thoughts about this Mark Robinson of the game? Uh, no. <clears throat> the bit, I guess, that also frustrates me is you, you lost the grand final by a kick. You've now lost a prelim by a kick. You know, you've done... I suppose you can comfortably say they've done exceptionally well considering the impediments with the injuries over the, over the two years. And it makes you pissed off when you think about if we didn't have all these fucking injuries how good we could have possibly have been yeah. in the last two years we could have won two flags you know but now the, the opportunity's passed um, you well, don't know what next year I mean, well, we don't know what's going to happen no, we're no, reset but, um, I mean the other point of frustration for me is, is, is you know essentially with the beams thing now you've shot yourself in the foot we've got nothing to jump into the next draft with when's our first pick 36 or something I think our first pick is 2024 yeah, unless you're going to start trading away things of value we, we, I don't know where we're going to get start getting these players in. You, you're going to have to either trade for them or you're going to have to try and find another Mia check or something out there in seniors land in, I don't in think, the waffle or something. I don't think they have anything to trade, though. No, no, Without sort of totally... You've invested a lot of time into re-signing a lot of these players. I don't think you're going to turn around and dump them at the same time. Well, I mean, the guy, who would you trade that has value? Um, Darcy Moore. Cyborg. So, I don't think Sodom's going to have the value that people expect. Yeah, and he's 29. Idiots out there all pay. And he's, he's on going on 29, so I don't think you're going to get like anything major for him. Um, the, the guys that would have some value are Darcy Moore. That's going to de- be depreciated by yeah, the fact I, that I he's got it. chronic hamstrings. No, I'm, not, I'm not saying I'll trade any of this. I'm just talking about who would have value. The guy will have a lot of value, but you're not going to trade him because then you know, you're just actually shooting yourself in the foot, which is pretty appropriate, Collingwood. And Jaden Stevenson. And they're sort of your free young guns for the future. And then you get guys like Maynard and all that who are going to bring some value. But again, it's like, what are you losing from the side? It's not like you have a surplus of these players. That's right. You know, it's not like you've been 
recruiting, trading, drafting, like GWS have, and just this stockpile of tools that you can just sort of farm out as needed, you don't have anything. The depth at that club is really shallow. The list management is going to be interesting with the older players and the guys who are injured and how that's all going to work. Well, I read the other day that there's a flagging up to nine changes, nine delisments. But that was by Tom Clown. Tom, yeah, well, he's fed, though, I would suspect. Well, I expect he's fed. He's a pudgy bastard. Um, <laughs> but you look at... Well, even if it's nine, I mean, I don't know, but it's whatever it's going to be, the profile of that list has a soft underbelly that at some point, because you got guys like Brendan Crocker, who you wouldn't expect to survive, a Cole, and no. then you got older players like Reed and Varka. Well, the attrition of age, is, is, yeah. it has to be a definite, because at some point you've got to sever your ties and start cultivating that young talent. But the thing is, who do you bring in? You, you, know, you get rid of Varko, and then you go, okay, let's bring in the next best thing, but the first pick we have is at 115 in the draft. It's like, all right, well, maybe kick Vark on for another year and finish last and get... Anyway, we'll talk about list management at another point. Just to me, it's really going pear-shaped on them, or it's, it has the threat of going pear-shaped. And they've now spent two years top four, and I, yeah, I understand winning premierships are hard, but geez, you had two really good chances at it. Very and, good chances. And, you know, Richmond used to be a laughing stock, but you've got to give them credit for... Well, they won the flag for one. And they're most likely going to win another one. And they've backed up their... You know, last year they were a little bit um, probably disappointing in the prelim, whether we just smashed them or they were a bit scratchy and then we smashed them, whatever the case might be. They missed their opportunity there after finishing top. But they've backed it up. They're now back up there. They bore themselves through the, the little injury run they had. And now they're raging hot favourites to win a second flag in three years. So, you know, you can mock them, or you could mock them, but you can't anymore because they're doing what they need to do. And that's what I think really good clubs do. They do what they need to do to achieve the ultimate. And we just don't seem to have that ruthlessness in our character to go, hey... There's one thing, I mean, just to go off on a a tangent for a second. Um, Watching the Brownlow tonight... um, they all look really quite flat at the table. So maybe there's the potential. I imagine they are hurting. There needs to be a hurt to the point where it's actually going to drive you to go one step further next year. Yeah, I think your you, you entitlement comments are pretty much on the ball. And I don't think we carried enough of that hurt from last year into this year thinking we were just going to improve because we're going to get all these players back. We started the season. We got all the press releases at the start saying that pretty much um, everyone's fit and firing. And there's barely anyone on the injury list. And then all of a sudden they dropped off quicker than a leper's dick and then uh, we had a hospital infirmary instead of a, uh, a training facility out there and, and, and then it just went back to the status quo. And oh. we, you know, we're winning games, we're still doing that. I think that mindset was just going to be, well, it'll click and come good. But maybe this is just the absolute kick in the nuts that they need. Oh, yeah, we can keep living it hard. But I mean, I think the disappointing thing for me is injuries at Collingwood aren't just injuries. They, the, the, That's the number one. The terrifying thing is it's, injuries it's just spread absurd. and become chronic. You know, I mean, it's like Elliot did a hamstring and then he was like out for six weeks or something and he was, they always said he was going to come back in. I mean, the guy did a hamstring, they said 10 days. You know, he came back for 15 minutes and he was gone again. Um, Will Kelly had a, um, he cut his toenail the wrong direction yeah, and uh, yeah. three months later he still couldn't run. You know, Darcy Moore had issues where he went off several times. So it doesn't feel like they rehab injuries. It just feels like they get to the point and it's like, okay, you're just back on the 
assembly line before he returned and, and manufactured the next injury. And it's like, yeah, there's that rumour that came out, um, I think it was yesterday, that um, Elliot's off to Hawthorne yeah. as a free agent. And you know if he fucking goes there, I like they will fix him pre-season and he'll play six years and never miss another game. And you just don't get that sense with us that we just have the understanding about how to do that. Well, the, the query, I, I'd, I'd be off poaching everybody else's fitness Well, the query is, you know, is it the medical staff don't know how to do that or they do know how to do that but then there's contributing factors outside of their control like the surface of their training uh, paddock that... I know, it replicates the moon's surface quite nicely. But is that what it is? Like, yeah, we, we got the players back but you know you're running on this shit so they're just going to be prone to break down again. I don't know. I mean, I... It annoyed me that Colin came and said, no, no, there's no problem here. It's like, well, no, there fucking is. For eight years, you've been in the top eight for injuries, you know, and I reckon of those eight years... Probably the bulk of them you've been in the top four, and I reckon definitely you've been number one for about three of them. And it's ridiculous. Oh, it's a something. Oh, well, yeah, probably the wrong thing. So that frustrates me that this has been going on for a while. They even had, they even talked about it in AGM like about four or five years ago. They go, yeah, we're going to address these soft tissue injuries. Four or five years later, they're still going. And the reason it's people not getting worse don't really query it is just because they're now used to it and you need these journalists to finally come out and talk about the injuries after we fucking talk about them often enough they go well maybe there is something I mean it only took them eight years to click to it but hey Collingwood gets a lot of injuries but anyway I mean it, it's really deflating and oh it is it's um, I feel um, intensely flat yeah I'm sure that'll that'll um, evaporate but yeah, losing the grand finals, a dog. I mean, it's the, one of the worst feelings in the world. But this, as you said before, it actually feels just as close because it's just it's just a waste. I feel like it's a waste. Yeah, the well, whole was, year we've well, let's say pissed going, it away. Going, you know, you're you're around my age, you're probably about 10, 15 years older. But oh, I am now after this weekend. If you look at like just in the modern era, okay, you look at the prelims we've played. We won. A, we won. 2018, obviously. We won 2011, won 2010. We got smashed in 2009, and we lost by a kick in 2007. Mm -hmm. Now, when I look at those games, those prelims, um, I think, you know, 2009, I was disappointed, but I walked away thinking Geelong's and Kilda were clearly above us. And 2007, Geelong were miles ahead of the pack. And I walked away disappointed, obviously, but it didn't feel this soul-destroying because this year it was like, oh, hang on, you've actually lost one from a position of gross favouritism. Yeah. And that's something you generally wouldn't do in the prelim because you're really good at prelims. So you've actually squandered an opportunity. Now, whether you would have went on and still lost to Richmond in the grand final, who knows, but you've deprived yourself of that chance because when it came down to the crunch, you couldn't take GWS's best shot and then give it back to them given their side was depleted and we had everything going for us and you just didn't know how to do it, couldn't do it, wouldn't do it. And that's the thing too. I mean, look, in some ways you almost view this as as a relief thing because we're not going to go through another grand final loss because you can't not help but look back at our two finals performances and what across the the two games we played about two good quarters. Yeah. Um, That's just not good enough to win a flag. No. And if we're going to go there and get smashed, then what's the whole point of it all? Yeah, it's, 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 it's concerning about the way that we we didn't really fire in the, in the finals this year. Considering that everything conspired to try and make this a success, we didn't respond accordingly and, and take advantage of that situation. Well, let me ask you this. Do you think there's a lack 
of strength of character in the club. Oh, I definitely think that's the case. So, um, but I'm old school. I think there has to be a, a, a requisite amount of uh, um, mongrel, mongrel, because I can't say the other word um, about them. And and look, I understand the, the world's a different place now, and, and the dynamic of of men in sport is is clearly shifting towards this brotherhood of love and all that sort of thing. But ruthlessness gets you a hell of a lot further so, quicker. Um, to, to, to beat something down um, still has its place. But see, in my opinion, you don't need to be criminal to be ruthless. No, no, no don't thing, get me wrong. Um, I, unless, of course, it was a grand final. I did advocate that everyone yeah. just goes out and smashes everyone and wins at any cost because but the, the whatever that, it takes. The thing I was going to say, if you look at the Hawthorne side that free-peated... Um, and you look at the premiers who've won since then. I mean, Bulldogs, Richmond, West Coast, they've all had that ruthlessness. I mean, the dogs just manufactured it, manufactured it for like that four-week period. You know, you never That's sort enough. of... You, bear, you never sort of really looked at them and thought they were a really tough side in that way. But they all had that single-minded ruthlessness of that this is where we're going to get to our objective. And, you know, the 2010 Collingwood team, I don't think, actually had that. They had a ruthlessness of ability where they were crushing opponents. They weren't like a mongrel side. The 1990 side was definitely a mongrel side. It was like a scary physical side. But we lack both those components. There's not a ruthlessness of skill. You know, I think I remarked to you, I remarked to someone, I can't remember, pre-game, but going on the train to, into the game, I was thinking about the side, I think it really reminds me of a Tommy Hafey side of... There's some cream at the top, but then there's a lot of sort of role players. And all very much like a Malthouse 2002-2003 side. Yeah. You know, so it doesn't have that... And they're the ones you need to lift. And they're the ones but, that win you these games in these situations. But the thing is, you know, class is always going to outweigh that battling component. But we lack that genuine class at the top end. I mean, I think you injected going into that game, we probably would have won. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we lack that ruthlessness of mongrel to just sort of run over the top of them and, you know, really just have that focus. If you're going to get in my, I'm going to run for you and it's going to be totally legal, but you're going to feel it. And we didn't have either of those. And in the end, we just wilted and said, well, give us your best shot. And he said for about 15 minutes when we came at him. And this is the thing that annoys me the most is that 15 minutes showed we had that capacity Mm. and we just did not produce it. I know GWS played well, but if we could do that for that 15 minutes, it wasn't because GWS just said, yeah, we're five goals up, we can, you know, relax now. They were still playing their game. It was just at that time, we finally lifted the match during intensity. And then, I mean, Buckley said in his press conference, if we could have produced that earlier, it would have been a different result probably. Yeah, and I still think some of that comes back to the extended break. It's killing. It's the, killing the me. Top four. Yeah. Any final thoughts? No, that's enough. I'm done with it. All right, we'll probably be back to talk about the list management and other joyous things. Um, so this is coming after the Brownlow medal. A big congratulations to Brody Grundy for winning the Brownlow. Yeah. Oh, actually, no, it wasn't. He came six, but I believe the Collingwood website is celebrating. Yep. Coming six. Yep. Look, and, you know, give him acknowledgement. That's the thing, but seriously. I know. Well done, Grundles and the others who've piled, but geez. I would, pretty much every player who finished above him... I would think, geez, I'd love that guy yep. at Collingwood because Absolutely. they're all match winners. I'm not saying Grundy isn't, but we've talked about that. So we'll see you... Probably after the trade or the draft or whatever I don't know when that is. Don't know, don't care. Mm. You shit me, Collingwood. Yep. Later.